for Tuesday, January 12th, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, a chance mutation has created a new variant of the virus that causes COVID-19 that scientists think is more transmissible. The way to stop more variants like this from arising, which, which they will if transmission continues, is to do everything we can to stop the spread. Thomas Friedrich, a professor of virology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, joins me to discuss what we know and what we don't about SARS-CoV-2 variant B117. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Scientists the world over are paying attention to a new, more transmissible version of the virus that causes COVID-19. SARS-CoV-2 variant B117 contains mutations that appear to make it spread easier, which could have big implications for the pandemic in the U.S. if it takes hold here, says Thomas Friedrich. He's a professor of virology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and he joins me now for more. Thomas, thanks for talking with me. Anytime. Talk to me to start about how and why a virus like SARS-CoV-2 would mutate. A lot of viruses mutate. It's sort of something that we expect them to do. So I think the first thing to say is that, as your question points out, this is not unique to SARS-CoV-2, and it's totally in line with how we would expect a virus like that to behave. I think most people will be familiar with the idea that you need to get a new flu shot every year. And the reason that happens is because the flu virus evolves. The virus accumulates mutations as it uh, spreads in people. And some of those mutations change how our immune system can recognize the flu virus. And so we have to update the flu vaccine every year to kind of keep up with those changes that are caused by viral mutations. The coronavirus is pretty similar. It has mutations that um, sort of crop up in, in uh, the virus as it spreads. And until recently, we haven't had much evidence that they change anything super important about its biology. But some of these new variants seem to have some properties that cause us concern, and that's why we're paying more attention to it now. 
And are there particular reasons why a virus might mutate? Is there some way that this benefits the virus or is it just kind of random? The mutation process is totally random. It's because when the virus is making copies of its own genetic material, it's kind of sloppy. And so it makes mistakes. Those mistakes are mutations. Most of those mutations um, are, are probably on balance, maybe just a little bit harmful for the virus. And those viruses that have harmful mutations, they'll die out. A lot of mutations don't really help or hurt the virus one way or the other. That's been helpful for us because over time, the virus sort of creates these genetic signatures that allow us to track how the virus is moving through space and time. So that's sort of helpful for us. And every once in a while, randomly, um, mutation will help the virus do something that it needs to do. So maybe it can get inside our cells a little bit better. Maybe it can travel from one person to another a little bit better. Um, any viruses that randomly acquire the ability to do that well, they'll start to grow better than other viruses in the population, and then we'll start to see more of those kinds of viruses because they have what we call a fitness advantage. It is my general sense that that is what we are starting to see in some parts of the world. With this new SARS-CoV-2 variant, people may have heard this called B117. When were you first aware of, of this new variant? And just kind of describe to me what's different about it. The first time I became aware of, uh, of this B117 variant was probably in mid-December, early December. We all benefit from a program in the UK where they have been very consciously trying to characterize the genetics of viruses circulating throughout the, the UK just to keep an eye on how the virus might be evolving there. Back in mid-November, as cases started to increase, um, the UK government started to implement more stringent lockdown measures in certain places in the country. And they noticed that in one place in the country, uh, in the southeast of England, there were increasing cases still, even though they had a more kind of stringent lockdown in place. And that caused people to be concerned that either people were... Um, skirting the rules, or maybe there was something different about the virus. And as they looked more carefully at the viruses that were circulating in that place, they found that they had a series of mutations that would, um, you know, now cause us to, to consider this a kind of new strain of the virus. So there's a lot of evidence that, um, that we put together through both uh, genetic profiling and epidemiology, just looking at who's getting how much virus where, that all suggest that this variant, which is now called B117 and other names too, um, is more transmissible, more contagious. And so it's a little bit harder to control. This is maybe something people have heard, that there are qualities about this particular strain that do make it more transmissible. What makes this thing more transmissible? Sure. I should say we don't really know exactly, so I can't give you um, a definitive answer. And so there are labs throughout the world now um, that are trying to characterize what it is about this virus that makes it biologically a little bit different from its predecessors. And there's one particular gene in the virus that we're really concerned about, which is called the spike protein. 
it encodes the spike protein. The spike protein is like, if you imagine the picture that we all have in our heads of the coronavirus, that, that is sort of this gray and red thing, the this red bumps on the surface of the virus, those bumps are the spike proteins sticking out of the, the viral surface. And the job of those things, they're kind of like viral Velcro. Their job is to stick the virus to a cell and then help the virus get inside that cell to make more viruses. And so changes in the kind of shape of that spike protein um, are things that we really want to pay attention to because they might affect how the virus is able to get into cells. Maybe some viruses can get in a little bit better. And it may also affect how our antibodies from our immune system recognize and fight off those viruses. So Altogether, that may help explain perhaps these uh, viruses, these variants, stick to cells a little bit better, and maybe that is what makes them um, more contagious. But we don't have a lot of data on the exact B117 variants themselves. We have some of the mutations that uh, these viruses have have been characterized in the lab, but not all of them together in the combination that we see in B117. People are doing that now. If there's this sense that this particular variant is a little bit more transmissible, do we have any understanding of whether or not it, say, will make someone sicker? That's a, a great question and a very important one. And so it's important to emphasize that although we have a lot of information that causes us to believe that these viruses are indeed more transmissible, we don't have any information suggesting that they are more deadly, more virulent. So they don't seem to have a, a higher level of pathogenicity, as we call it, so disease-causing potential. But, you know, you can imagine that if you have one and a half times as many infections, you will also have one and a half times as many severe infections and one and a half times as many deaths if you don't change anything about the virulence of the virus. More infections will lead to more severe infections. So even though it's not more deadly inherently, it's still concerning because of its potential to cause more infections faster. And you mentioned one and a half uh, times more transmissible. Is, is that our general understanding of, of how B117 differs from normal SARS-CoV-2? That is the best estimate that we have from data from the UK. And so right now, the thinking is that, that it is about one and a half times more transmissible than the previous strains. Do we know where this is from? We learned about it from the UK. Is it from there? That's a really good point. So just because it was first noticed in the UK doesn't mean that um, it necessarily arose there. Um, it, and it's hard to say. I think that, that most scientists currently think it probably did arise in the UK, because of how many cases there, there were. And it has rapidly kind of overtaken other strains of the virus through much of the UK. So that's consistent with it having been present in the UK for quite some time. And as far as we know, this variant has not taken over, like displaced other strains of the virus in, in other locations. However, most other places don't have uh, as good genomic surveillance as the UK has, so we're still kind of waiting. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead, talking today with Thomas Friedrich. He's a professor of virology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. We're talking about what we know and what we're still learning about SARS-CoV-2 variant B117. 
Do we know where this virus is in the U.S. at this point? I certainly have seen and heard a bunch of conflicting reports, even, you know, from federal officials. The CDC says this is only in a handful of states when members of the White House Coronavirus Task Force have posited that it is in a lot of states. Do we know how prevalent this is in the U.S. at this point? Part of the reason we're seeing potentially conflicting information is just because the, the information is changing so quickly we're sort of in a situation where we're kind of like walking into a dark room and now we're turning on the lights. And so we're beginning to look much more carefully. And so we'll find things. There's sort of a fortuitous mutation in this B117 variant that is not found in, in other emerging variants of concern necessarily. This is a mutation that, that actually removes two amino acids, two, two little kind of links in the protein chain of the spike protein. Um, and that happens to occur in a place where one of the commercial tests for uh, COVID-19 is looking for the virus. And so um, it causes that signal to go away. That particular test actually looks for three different parts of the virus simultaneously. So it can still detect two, but not three. And so people have used this signal of being positive for two but not three of the viral gene targets in this particular test as a proxy for the presence of the B117 virus. So I know that there's been efforts to find viruses that have this particular profile. So I think we'll get a lot more information in, in the coming days and weeks. Can we say with any certainty that we do know where this variant is right now? Well, so I think that, that we can't use this, this sort of um, test signature to say that this is where B117 is. We have to confirm. Um, there are places where confirmed infections have already happened. I know uh, CDC in Atlanta has a dashboard where they're showing where the cases have been confirmed for sure in the US, and, and that is only in a handful of states. Some of these cases have been associated with travel. Uh, people have traveled or, or have been with people who traveled internationally, and so they may have been infected with this virus elsewhere. But some of those cases um, are not associated with known travel. So that would suggest that B117 is being transmitted in the United States, but we don't know how long it might have been here. We don't know how many infections it may have caused. So the, the last thing about this that was in your question was the, the task force said something about, you know, maybe a new variant is causing the high levels of transmission we see in the U.S. There is no evidence right now, no solid evidence that transmission of this B117 variant is widespread in the United States. But it's also true that there's probably more of it around than we have already detected. So... We're in a difficult position where, where there is a small number of cases where we know about for certain, but there's probably a much larger number of cases that we're going to learn about in the near future. However, I don't think that B117 is the reason why we're, we're still seeing uh, a lot of community transmission across the United States. I, I think that that has a sort of simpler explanation, which is just that um, you know, there's not enough people adhering to public health guidelines. And, and so we're seeing the same high levels of transmission we've seen since the fall. It seems like if, if that is kind of the opinion of, of, of scientists like yourself, that this isn't widely circulating here and things are as bad as they are without this variant, that seems like that just raises the stakes for how much worse the situation could be in the country 
if B117 were to really start spreading here? I think that is exactly correct. And so what, what has us worried is not that this variant is more deadly because it isn't as far as we can tell, but that you know healthcare resources are already stretched thin. There's already a lot of infection. Um, you know, kids have been out of school for a long time in many cases, and we'd like to see them go back. Um, but if we're faced with an expanding a virus strain that is more contagious than what we already have, um, then that's just going to make our jobs of containing the spread um, much more difficult. So that means that that in order to to keep a lid on a more transmissible variant, more people are going to have to be better about adhering to public health guidelines. And the threshold of of like people that we need to vaccinate to achieve herd immunity will probably be higher if we're dealing with a a more transmissible virus. The speed with which that transmissible variant has sort of displaced other strains in the UK is pretty dramatic. And and so it's something that we really need to keep an eye on. And what are the implications for our current prevention methods? Um, Would it, say, change recommendations about wearing certain kinds of masks? Does six feet become 12 feet if we had this new variant here? What could the implications be for kind of public health guidance? So I think there's good news and bad news. The The, the bad news is obviously we're having trouble containing the, the viruses that are in the country now that are prevalent now. But the, the good news is that as far as we can tell, this variant should still be susceptible to all of the same interventions. So if people, if more people were better about masking and distancing and limiting gatherings and and washing their hands more of the time, then we would slow the spread of of this variant Um, and and the others like it that will probably, you know, come in the future. The vaccine um, may well be protective against this variant. We're still getting data on that. But so far, there's no information that would cause us to be really concerned that this B117 variant in particular is less susceptible to vaccination um, than the other strains. So it, it's really kind of a race between rolling out vaccine and getting more people protected. And hopefully in the while that's happening, people really kind of buckling down and, and being better about adhering to, to all the stuff we've, we've heard about for the last year. You know, or else we, we may be facing the transmission of, of a more transmissible variant that, that infects more people. This next one is a request <laughs> from my wife, who is a teacher, um, and she's been schooling in person uh, all of last semester. Everyone at their school was wearing masks as much as they could. They, they tried to keep people distance as well as they could. And for the most part, that worked for them. Should we assume that that same kind of level of of prevention, say, in a setting like a school, is necessarily going to be sufficient if B117 really takes off here? I think that we don't have a lot of hard evidence to say, but I think it's notable that in places where the B117 variant has circulated. So one of the ways that that we noticed that, um, that it was circulating in the UK is that there were restrictions on some other activities, but schools were still in session. And now they've made the decision to shut down schools because the, they were having trouble uh, controlling the, the spread of the virus. So I think that we don't have data to say 
um, that, you know, this or that particular mitigation strategy was effective and either will still be or will not be anymore. It's going to be hard to say, but it is quite possible that, um, you know, we would have to de-densify classrooms more. We, um, you know, might have to be much stricter about making sure that everybody uh, adheres to guidelines all the time. Cause, I mean, it, it's hard to do that day in and day out all day. But, you know, we're just not going to be certain about that, I don't think, um, until we, we have more information. But I think that, that we have to be ready for the possibility that new variants will arise against which, you know, whatever we've been doing in our particular settings, all schools are kind of different, um, may not be effective enough. It just seems kind of striking to me the coincidence of timing that we've had here. It was mid to late December that we started to see vaccines rolled out across the country, while at the same time, this new variant has really reared its head, potentially throwing a a pretty big wrinkle into our efforts to slow the pandemic down. What do you make of all that? I mean, should this new variant be seen as a big setback? Um, Is this something that we should have expected all along, the fact that something big and unexpected like this would happen? What do you make of all that? Viruses, especially viruses that use RNA as their genetic material, um, like this coronavirus and like influenza, they evolve. So, So we should expect that to happen. And, you know, there's just so many infections happening all around the world that, you know, each time you do that, it's like giving the, the virus another pull at the evolutionary slot machine. Um, and so the more people are infected at the same time, the, the more slot machine handles are being pulled all at once. And so someone somewhere will, will, you know, come up with a jackpot that will allow the evolution of a virus that is more transmissible or, or perhaps could be a little bit less recognizable to the immune system. And so so I think that has some implications. I think, first of all, we have to be prepared for, um, you know, guidelines and thinking about what is safe and what isn't safe to change. There's a broader implication here, though, which is like the, the way to stop more variants like this from arising, which, which they will if, uh, if transmission continues, is to, to do everything we can to stop the spread. And so if we can slow the spread, then we can slow the emergence, the spread of existing variants and the emergence of new ones. And, you know, as we hopefully roll out more vaccines, um, you know, we can begin to, to kind of turn the tide. But I think we're in a, a dangerous and potentially kind of volatile phase. Thomas Friedrich is a professor of virology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's where you can also leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. 
But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate and thanks.